Much of the government now sees the light at the end of the tunnel with the security clearance backlog. As of last week, it sits at 386,000. All right. Virginia Senator Mark Warner is the vice chairman of the Intelligence Committee and the author of several provisions in this year's defense and intelligence authorization bills designed to modernize security clearance. He tells Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco he's working with the Office of Personnel Management and the Pentagon to keep an eye on the upcoming clearance transfer. I meet with them on a regular basis to make sure that the transition is is moving smoothly. And so far, I think I give it pretty good marks. We've seen the backlog go from 740,000 down to below 400,000. So there's been real progress. But we've We've now seen the adjudication process as you go through the security clearance process has ballooned up to 200,000. So we've got to bring those numbers down. If you bring more people into the front of the funnel, you've got to make sure you can get them through the whole process. We're making progress there. And then we also, in our Intel authorization bill, which got attached to the NDAA, we've now legislated a number of the security clearance reforms that we've been working on for the last couple of years. So I think we're headed in the right direction. Everybody's paying more than lip service to the notion that we're going to move, for example, to continuous evaluation away from the every five-year review, regardless of uh, whether you need it or not. I think the process reforms are moving along on the Intel side, Deputy Director of ODNI, Sue Gordon, has really taken this on as a major issue. On the DOD side, Admiral Kernan has taken this on as a major issue. And um, I feel pretty optimistic that uh, we're headed in the right direction. Clearly, the top-line numbers have already seen dramatic improvement. I'm glad you brought up the adjudications piece. What do you think is the, the issue there? Is it a resourcing issue or not enough people? By bringing the numbers down you know, over about a nine-month period, 300,000 plus, you know, some of these folks, particularly on the secret side, that was just you know, moving the processing faster. But, you, you know, you need to move more personnel into the adjudication component so you don't have this backup. And I think there was some ability for us to predict this. I do think on both the DOD and the Intel side, People recognize there's a problem, and I think they're, they're trying to move the resources and trying to bring this down. I actually think if we can get the backlog, the overall backlog, which is now down below 400,000, to a constant steady state of about 200,000, you know, that would be about where I, that's where I would be satisfied. On the adjudication numbers, I, I'm not sure what that number on a constant steady state should be, but I think, you know, that's what I'm going to move to next. We also have to make sure, and, and this is where there's been a lot of a lot of discussion, but now we need to actually have the trigger pulled on things like the Trusted Workforce 2.0 so there is actual reciprocity. So we've got the ability um, between one agency and another agency, particularly on the contracting side, to recognize that if one agency's done a security clearance, the other agency should be able, willing to accept that clearance without a you know, a cumbersome further review. I wanted to ask you about the Office of Personnel Management and the situation that they seem to be headed in when the security clearance business transfers. I think this topic's gotten a lot of attention from some of your colleagues in the House, but were you aware of some of the consequences that OPM might face when 
Congress was initially talking about moving the security clearances to DOD? I mean, I'm wondering if you can kind of comment on what you're seeing as the administration figures this merger out. My figure is that the administration is seems to be, at least some in the administration, are more interested in you know, federal workforce elimination than better efficiency. And I do think, particularly when Secretary Mattis was in and he brought this back over to the DOD side, you know, I had to be convinced. I do think at the end of the day this probably does make sense since the vast majority of these clearance reviews are done you know, at the secret level for the defense side of the House. And I think, you know, many of these people, you know, who are doing the security clearance will simply, you know, how they report up the chain will, will change, but their jobs will not dramatically change. And, we, you know, we're talking roughly in DSS, I think, about 13,000 people. So, you know, it's a, it's a large number of employees. So I think there were some bumps on the front end, but I'm, you know, I'm relatively, I don't want to say fully satisfied, but I'm relatively satisfied that, that we're, we are, um, um, the transition so far is seeming to move okay. But on the piece of the other functions of OPM moving to the General Services Administration. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that on OPM to GSA, yeah. OPM to GSA, I have huge concerns on. I don't think the administration has made the case. I don't think they've shown it from, frankly, any management standpoint. I worry that they are holding some of the folks in OPM kind of hostage at this point in terms of for their future. We've even heard some of the some of the questions about people being furloughed without full explanation. And and the answers we've got from the administration have been extraordinarily a weak, weak response. So I think we've got more work to try to do there to slow that down and grapple with it. And Senator, shifting gears completely here, wanted to ask you quickly about the 5G Future Act. What was the intent there behind codifying something that was recently put in an executive order? The move from 4G to 5G, and I was an old telecom guy for 20-plus years, so I'm a little bit nerdy on this stuff, but it's like literally it's such a major transformation. It's, it's almost the equivalent of moving from radio to television. And our country has been late to having a national strategy. This is not all of the fault of the Trump administration. It goes back to even the Obama administration, getting all the component parts of government as well as the private sector together to make sure that you know, we have secure networks upon which all of the Internet of Things connected devices actually will, will run. And the intelligence community has been unanimous for a number of years about the threats that Huawei poses to our national security. I was glad that the administration finally got their act together on Huawei and called it out. And most of our major telecom providers in America have not, because of this vulnerability, have not used Huawei. But we were slow on trying to make the case to the rest of the world. And let me be clear, I'm most concerned about buying Huawei equipment. I do think there is a legitimate case to be made to still allow American chip manufacturers to sell, you know, chips, for example, to Huawei for use in their handsets, not again to nerd out, but that is a different, a different set of issues. My concern is that some folks, um, and some folks in the administration actually support our legislative approach because we want to make clear that the president, who I'm not sure fully understands this, you know, doesn't trade away Huawei in a 
effort to try to get our trade deal with China, uh, because what it would do is, one, it would undermine our national security, but also it would completely undermine our intelligence community, our defense community, who've been going out for the last year plus, you know, late to the game, because we didn't reach these conclusions soon enough, but for the last year plus, trying to make the case to all our allies not to buy Huawei equipment. And then if suddenly the president takes off this ban for an additional you know, X billion dollars of soybean purchases, not only do we make our country more less secure in terms of our network, but boy, oh boy, we totally undermine the credibility of our intelligence community and everyone else that this was you know, more than simply a trade-related item. Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Intelligence Committee, speaking with Federal News Network's Nicole Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision.